Crude oil is crude. Natural gas is pure. That's why Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas, not crude. It gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. We got a big fight tomorrow night, Tone. When is the last time you were in a fight? I'm Tony Kornheiser. Last Friday, I got jumped by Marv Levy. Okay, Marv is 94. Yeah. I mean, was he by himself? Did he have a, a gang with him? What was up with that? He didn't need anybody. He knocked me down. He hit me as hard as he could right in the thigh. Man. I got a black and blue mark. Yeah. Sort of embarrassing because he's 94 years but old. But he's a tough guy. Chicago and Tony, tough guy. Sort of like Bud Grant. I'm expecting yeah. him to knock me I down like later. Welcome to PTI, boys and girls. In today's episode, Wilder Fury 2, Joel Embiid says he's the best My in the man. world. And we spend five good minutes with Angels manager Joe Madden. But we begin today with an update on the NFL labor negotiations. The executive committee of the Players Association voted narrowly six to five to reject the owner's offer. J.J. Watt, who's not on that committee, tweeted overnight, quote, hard no on that proposed CBA. Richard Sherman, who is on that committee, agreed with Watt. But the 32 player reps declined to vote today, reportedly hoping to meet with the owners next week in Indianapolis at the Combine for further negotiations. Wilbon, does this put us closer or further away from a deal? Well, Tony, I would think further. And, I, you know, I'm not covering this one, TikTok, but I have in the past going back to the 80s uh, when there were long stoppages because the players who didn't even have much leverage, I'm not sure they have much now, but they didn't have any then, it seemed. And they said, no, we, we want to go back to the table. And so, of course, the owners don't want them to go back. Tony, the owners put this out there. They put this out there through mainstream media and however way they could to basically say, oh, we're close to a deal. Let's take it. And so it was interesting, Tony. I I mean, I applaud J.J. Watt. I applaud Richard Sherman. Those guys are tough leaders. They are smart guys and not just in the way of football. And they said, no, we're going to we're going to consider more here. Maybe we want to go back to the table. This is a no. And so I applaud them. I don't know what leverage they have, but I think this could be put off for a while. Yeah, I I fully disagree. I think it puts them closer to a deal. I think 6-5 by the executive committee that was negotiating the deal shows tremendous uncertainty on their part, and it makes it into a coin flip. I'm not going to denigrate Richard Sherman and J.J. Watt at all, but I am going to tell you they're probably in the top 5% of players' salaries. And there's a lot of people under them who who don't make anywhere near that kind of money and are probably looking at this deal like it is a good deal for them. It takes a simple majority of the players to vote this. So I, I think we're closer because, again, Don Olmeyer, the answer to all your questions is money. I think 6-5, Mike, means that, that the players aren't saying reject this. That's they didn't, what I think. But, but, Tony, how much money? And who's getting the money? The players have to feel they're getting enough money. Players and at so the they bottom not, and by the way, aren't going to vote Tony. on principle, Mike. They're going to vote okay, on their pocketbook. One other book. quick thing. There are some players, and maybe more than you think, who are saying to the 17th game, no. Oh, yeah. I know. No. Yes. So so the question is, are the yeah. owners going to give something? Well, that's, you know, you give to get. Yeah. And we'll see. You and we'll see pretty quickly. Let's go to something that you and I have actually cared about all of our lives. Heavyweight championship boxing. Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury seems to have an appeal that has captured the interest of fight fans and general curiosity seekers alike. 
It's a rematch of a bomb-throwing, controversial first fight, and it takes America back to a different time in its history of sport. Tony, I'm guessing you see this as a legit championship title fight in the context of what the sport used to be in its heyday. And I, like, I don't want to get carried away here with these particular fighters, but they are heavyweights, and they are undefeated. Look, do I wish that they were Tyson and Holyfield? Do I wish that they were Ali and Frazier? But we live where we live, Mike. They're right. the best of what we got, and it's a heavyweight fight. And that changes the dynamic. I don't honestly understand the criticism of this. It seems very attractive to me. It does. What's the criticism? What goof, what, what idiot would criticize this fight? Oh, the, the notion fight, that they're overselling and they're not really that talented. Then tell those I, people I to see shut up. Well, you They would them. like to oversell every stupid Tom Brady conversation down the pike, most of those people. This is a fight where we, the last time we saw these guys in the ring, it's great. a 270-pound man was hitting another one in the head and knocking him down twice yeah. and couldn't win the fight. That's right. All right, so, so I don't want to hear from anybody criticizing someone that's an oversell. I can't wait to see this fight. I've already bought it. I'm going to watch it and tape it and maybe watch it again. Tony, the last time there was a fight that I felt this anticipation for, and I don't think it was this much, was Mike Tyson and and uh, the the big uh, British heavyweight at the time, like 18 years ago. Um, Lennox Lewis? I can't Lewis? think of his name. Lennox Lewis. Okay. That was 18 years ago, and I think it was in D.C., and I was at that Look, fight. We're not- Tony, this is so much bigger and better than that. We're not in the golden age of boxing. For no. obvious reasons, people don't go into boxing. Some of the people who might go into boxing go into wrestling or they go into MMA. Not heavyweights. But these guys, right, these are heavyweight accomplished heavyweight. fighters. This, to me, is a big deal. Good. Glad to hear you were The NBA returned to action last night. The 76ers without Ben Simmons defeated the Nets without Kyrie Irving in overtime. Joel Embiid had tremendous numbers. 39 points and 16 rebounds, and afterward declared himself, quote, the best player in the world, unquote. Wilbon, you have your reasons. You love Embiid. I do. Does he have a case? Well, Tony, I, no, I'm not going to agree that he's the best player in the world. I will say this. Among, we talked about old-fashioned fighting just now. Among old-fashioned heavyweights who get down in the paint and wrestle with people and get hit with elbows and tough it out like the people that we knew and admired, like Shaq and Willis Reed yeah. and that uh, two generations of guys and Kareem and so many, many others, he does that. Embiid does that, Tony. And yes, he can float outside. He not, he's the best big man in the way we knew big men. And more importantly than that, people sell themselves now like boxers. They'll tell you they're the best in the world. You don't, you don't mind that when boxers say it. So get off Embiid. Embiid was great last night. His team fell in the hole. They were getting booed at home. And he came through. Okay. So let's review for a second. The Philadelphia 76ers who win all the time at home and cannot win on the road. Won at home last night in overtime yep. against a team that did not have its best player. Okay, that helps them. That so, helps them. Okay, not have so him. they won one game, and this guy comes out one game and says, yeah. "I'm the best player in the world." And they he would have Ben be. Simmons. He they were without be, their second best player. He would be the best player in the world if the world suddenly lost LeBron James and lost <laughs> Steph Curry and lost Kawhi Leonard and lost maybe even Anthony Davis. So just shut up. Until you win something. That's all I'm asking They won last Just night, and won. they didn't have Ben yeah. Simmons, and he carried yeah. the team, and you won't give him any credit. They're, no, I give him a lot of credit. You hater. give him too much credit. Such a hater. They're 1-0 at home after the break. Thank you Good. very much in overtime. Good. Let's take a break. 
Coming up, we're going to ask Joe Madden how he plans to pitch the Astros in the season opener. We'll also ask him how he can make Mike Trout even better. Is that possible? Embiid was great last night, Tony. I watched every possession. That's fantastic. He got booed. I know you love He came him. back. He I'll won. I'll tell you what. Take him out to dinner and just order from me. We have loved our visits with Joe Madden when he managed the Rays and the Cubs. So let's see if anything has changed now that he's managing the Angels. We welcome back Joe Madden. And we ask this to start after five years in Chicago. Can you describe what it feels like to start fresh? It's it's actually uh, it's actually very cool and interesting. I had a wonderful uh, five year run back there. I think mission accomplished on uh, on on a variety of different levels. However, I'm coming home. Uh, y'all know what it's like to go back to your alma mater, whether it was your high school or your college, and coming back to the Los Angeles Angels, formerly the California Angels, Artie Moreno, John Carpino, Billy. I can't tell you how uh, uh, in a in the in the most warm and, and wonderful way it feels great. You will throw the first pitches in the regular season that the Astros will see in Houston. A lot of people are going to watch to see how you approach it. Everybody's going to tune in, including me, to see, are you going to throw at them? So I'm going to ask you, are you going to throw at them? You're going to be very disappointed. We are not. I think you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I'm going to have a meeting. I haven't had it yet with the guys um, especially with the pitchers, but the entire group to discuss the situation. Um, I want to go down there and play baseball. We're ascending right now. We're, we're trying to become uh, a playoff team this year and a championship team in the very near future. I don't want to get caught up in an imbroglio. I want us to play baseball. So we'll talk about it, get it out among ourselves, go down there and play the game, pitch the game properly, and hopefully come out with the series win. Uh, I'm not interested and extracting a pound for flesh for what has occurred. I know I wasn't in this division, did not play these guys straight up, but I'm still a member of the fraternity. Um, I'm really about the healing process right now. I know there's going to be varied opinions on so many different levels with this, and I get it, totally get it. But uh, when it gets to that day, the first pitch is thrown. Um, I'm more concerned about us taking care of us and let the Astros take care of themselves. Well, Joe, just to follow up on that, I mean, you're dealing probably with some sure. players, I guess most teams are, who are angry. But you've got this philosophy which squares mm-hmm. very well with Rob Manfred's. How are you going to – how do you manage that? Do you have to go in that clubhouse and have real deep heart-to-hearts before you get to that point? Straight up. It's straight up, bro. It's, it's always straight up. Um, you have to be able to have tough conversations to do this job. You can't run away from that. Now, I'm going to – probably get disagreed with and i'm going to listen to the whole thing and then hopefully we're going to come to a conclusion that that i think satisfies us and baseball in general and 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 become part of the healing process hopefully i am really wide open to my players saying whatever they want whenever they want i am i'm, I'm a big believer in that i do not try to influence conversations uh but i'll sit down and attempt to come to some, uh, some conclusions how are we going to react right here like you said everybody's going to be watching i want to i want to have people watch us play the game properly with the right intent we are ascending we need a level playing field get that uh, the cheating stuff out of it permit us to be good more quickly and that's what i'm most satisfied about we had a meeting uh, the managers did with uh, the commissioner a couple days ago and we talked about all this stuff and he took he took our comments from um, every one of us that wanted to say something. I am eager to help promote the healing process and, and, and have our game uh, regain the, 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 uh, the threshold, the mantle that it's supposed to be on. All right, so, so let me get to the notion of your team ascending 
and the philosophical underpinning of how a yep. team ascends. If you looked at the Astros and the scandals, yep. a lot of that was about analytics and technology driving what they wanted to do. You have said, I hope I quote you accurately about analytics and technology, that they are responsible for subtracting mm. the passion from what we do, not only in sports, but in our regular lives. Yep. Is, Amen. It, is it realistic to think that, right that analytics... You know that 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 will diminish in baseball, or we have we missed that stop on the train? I think in some ways it diminishes everything that we do. I think it takes the human element out of a lot of moments where we rely on math to decide our answers all the time. And I'm talking about in a baseball sense. I think there's a lot of business folks out there that would conclude the same thing. I'm. And having said that, I am not totally anti-analytics or technology. I've been doing it for years. I just think you have to uh, utilize it in the proper way, proper sense. For instance, I think analytics are a great acquisitional tool. I think if you're sitting in the off-season trying to make decisions and you have to really uh, thin-slice things, I think analytics are wonderful. In, in the actual season, uh, during the course of the season, actual games, the day-to-day process, there are times analytics to me can help fix a physical problem that a player might be having, whether it's a hitter or a pitcher, etc. And I do like it for that. But I want real coaches coaching this and not presenters uh, bringing stuff to us and and then anticipating that the result's going to occur. So I think there's a, there's a, a way to differentiate. Um, I do want analytics. I do want technology. However, we have to understand that the heartbeat matters the most. And I'm looking forward to I think maybe the, the next inefficiency is old school baseball. Everybody's working up the same sheet of music. Strikeouts are okay. Try to accept the walk, a walk and hit a home run and spin the baseball as much as you, you can't possibly can. The art is being subtracted from all this. The NBA, all they do is shoot three-pointers. And I think all that is the residue of math and analytics. So I think we have to... Uh, uh, appropriately distribute this stuff, utilize it properly, and understand that we do not want to subtract the soul and the heart from the game, which I think if we're not careful, it's going to eventually do. Joe, you have a World Series ring. You have had success in multiple places. And so you have the authority to talk about this and express how you feel. But I wonder if you worry about managers who, who have less of that than you do being just usurped. I mean, their jobs, their responsibility in the way that we've all grown up knowing it by analytics, by people who don't yeah. even know the game. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I think the, the word experience is becoming an archaic word almost. I mean, I think the, 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 the least important thing these days, it seems to be, is experience. Well, but I'm here to tell you that that's not the case with the Angels, Artie was looking for experience. Uh, John is John Carpino. And, of course, Billy Billy Epler is one of the best blends I've seen so far. This guy started out as a scout and was raised by Bill Livesey and Gene Michaels. So from the beginning, we've hit it off. And, listen, I'm not here to hammer on anything. I'm just telling you what I think. And what I think right now is that we need to create a blend of all these different things in order to get the game back that people really appreciate and the, and the game that everybody's looking for, uh, the game that might be more expeditious, the game that might be more entertaining to watch because the ball's being moved, the game because a strikeout is not very cool. I, I disagree with the people that thinks a strikeout's okay. Strikeout's okay, nobody on two outs, go ahead and try to put a ball in the gap. Uh, run around first base, two outs, strikeout's okay because you're trying to squirm. Run around third base, less than two outs, I don't dig it. Run around second base, uh, nobody out, I hate it. So there's, there's different buckets, and everybody try to put all this – 
all this baseball strategy into big buckets. And I think there's way more nuance involved in our game. And I'm going to try to extrapolate that with our group this year. We'll get you out of here on this. And I'm just going to say before you even answer this question, what a pleasure it is to listen to you. It really is a pleasure to listen to you. Baseball. But let, let me get to this. Mike Trout, he's the best player in baseball. You got him. When you were with the Cubs, you Correct. said he should be the baseball yep. logo. So what advice can you give him? No, see, that's, that's, see, that's the thing. Guys like him are looking for little nuggets all the time. See, that's the misconception. I think uh, a lot of times when you coach somebody like Mike, um, you, you tend to refrain maybe from saying something that you normally would say to somebody else, and that's a big mistake. Uh, guys like him are always looking to even get better. So I've already had some wonderful conversations with him. I introduced him and the group to a drill that I've been doing for years, and he kind of dug on it real quickly. So you never walk, you should never be concerned about something like that. I, I mean, I mean, I've, I've been sort of accomplished in what I do, but I'm always, I got Tony LaRusso here right now. Tony's with us on a daily basis. The nuggets that are dropping uh, from his mouth, on a daily basis are outstanding and I'm learning from Tony right now. So when the moment you think you've done, you're done learning, just hang it up, go to that retirement home, sit on the beach somewhere, whatever. But this game always presents daily something that's commonsensical that you've not even thought about to this point. Tremendous. Thank you so, so much. Awesome. Really best Thank of you. luck. Much Thank appreciate you. it. Okay, boys. Michael, stop on out here. Check out the facility. I am. Absolutely. Thank you. He'll be here tomorrow evening, I'm sure. Let's take one last break. Still to come, will Patrick Mahomes throwing to Des Bryant today help that receiver get back into the league? And could the Bears really be in the market for Derek Carr? Don't start. Tony. Tremendous. Just cut those and keep that answer. Send it out to all the analytics geeks. That's it. Joe Madden just put that on him. Happy time, people. Happy 29th birthday tomorrow to Khalil Mack. Mack was famously traded from the Raiders to the Bears two years ago. Mack has been good, not great. But what is interesting about this is that the quarterback Mack left behind, Derek Carr, is Instagramming a photo of the two of them. And Carr's brother David has written this caption, hashtag megapowers, leading to speculation that Carr could find his way to the Bears. Wilbon, would you want Derek Carr ahead of Mitch Trubisky? Not ahead, but with, and we see how it shakes out. And by the way, Mack was great his first year. Yes. Merely good this past season, but great his first year in the 12-4. and four, He led the team. So. Happy 40th anniversary tomorrow to the Miracle on Ice. This refers specifically to the U.S. hockey team beating the invincible Soviet hockey team in the 1980 Olympics at Lake Placid. Most people remember this as the gold medal game, but in fact... Michael Ruzioni's game-winning goal put the Americans into the finals. They still had to beat Finland for the gold medal, which they did, but which takes a distant second place to beating the Soviets, who were thought to be the best hockey team ever. So doesn't it feel like we're sitting with royalty when we're with guys like Ruzioni yes. and years ago with Coach Herb Brooks? I mean, it just it felt like, wow, these are the guys who authored the, one of the great victories in American sport. It's in American sporting history. Sport. In American sporting Absolutely. history, no question. Happy trails to Murray State and its 27-point lead. With 11.30 to play, Eastern Illinois trailed Murray State 50-23. to From that point on, Eastern Illinois made up the entire 27-point deficit and won it on Josiah Wallace's three with .4 seconds left. You have to believe that Murray State coach Matt McMahon was hoping John Morant had not left after last season because there's no way this happens if John Morant is on that court. 
Tony, that's all true. But Josiah Wallace, Josiah Wallace, six foot four, off the dribble, can catch and shoot. I mean, look at look out for that kid in the NBA, right? When you got that kind of size and range, and as he says, ice water in the veins. I want to see more of him. One update: the NFL Network is reporting that the players and owners will have a meeting next Tuesday in Indianapolis. And one omission: Trey Young put fifty on Andre Iguodala and the Heat last night. Does that Iguodala. make you wonder about Miami? Well, they've lost five or six, and they're eleven, twelve. Their last twenty-three. I wonder. Get off my man Iggy. He ain't score all those on Iguodala. Stop. He looks great so far. They're one and three, and he's 36. DeMarcus Cousins indicated to the All the Smoke podcast that he can play in the Lakers postseason. Big deal? Uh, Tony, it could be. We got a long way to go before we get to speculate reasonably about his role, perhaps, for the Lakers. Tua told Steve Weiss of the NFL Network that the ideal team he'd like to play for is the Cowboys. I mean, could that happen? And if so, so what? Hard to happen. Your boy Iggy, minus 33 last night for the record. Patrick Mahomes Stop. threw passes to Dez Bryant today. Could that help Dez get back in the league? Is he going to play for Kansas City? Don't they have a full complement of weapons? Eh. Marshawn Lynch reportedly has a substantial role in the HBO show Westworld. You watched that and you've seen it. You surprised? Yeah, I haven't really liked it. Yes, I'm very surprised. That's a hit show. It's not my kind of show. It's a hit show. Last one, number three, Kansas at number one, Baylor tomorrow. We got in that one. I'm going to go with the top-ranked team for a change this season at home, Tony. Out of time. Try and do better the next time. I'm Tony Kornheiser. And I'm Mike Wilbon. Have a great weekend, knuckleheads. You can get the PTI podcast on the ESPN app.